here. It's been a while, and I've missed being with you, and I encourage you to get your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at several passages in Hebrews this morning. We first got to stop in James 1, so James is right behind Hebrews, and we'll be there in just a moment. Good to be with you. Good to be together on a Sunday, the best day of the week. We're glad we can come to honor our God and to worship God and to remind ourselves there's a better world that we're after, and that's a place called heaven. You know, when a person's away for a while, they sometimes get homesick. A lot of people miss their own bed, can't wait to get home. One of the things I've been thinking about the last two or three weeks is this side of the pulpit. I like this side of the pulpit. This is like home to me, and I'm glad to be back home to be with you once again. One of the hymns that we sing is entitled, Troublesome Times Are Here. And, and it goes out, Troublesome Times Are Here, Fillings Men's Hearts With Fear. Freedom We Hold Dear, Now's At Stake. And even this morning, as we begin worship, that hymn would be fitting. As Jason talked to us about David in the book of Psalms, how King Saul was chasing him. He went to the land of Gath, the Philistines. How this song might have come to his heart, troublesome times are here. One of the hymns we sang this morning, the faith of our fathers. Verse 2 talked about how they were in prisons dark. Troublesome times are here. I can imagine brethren singing this hymn in times of war, in times of uncertainty, times of trouble, times of doubt. Troublesome times are here. And in many ways, this song is fitting for us today. There's a lot of uncertainty going on in our country. There's a lot of things that's just not sure anymore in this world. And we sometimes wonder what's going to happen down the road. In 2009, I'd only been here a few months, and I presented a lesson called Writing Out the Recession. And I went back a while back and looked at that lesson. Now, we've gone a different direction this morning from then, but when I presented that in 2009, we had just come out of the trouble of 2008. And 2008 was troublesome. Over 21,000 companies had laid off 50 people or more. 600,000 people had lost their jobs. And there's just a list of a bunch of them. And 11.1 million people were unemployed. 860,000 homes were foreclosed in 2008 and 2009. The market was down 30% from the year before. And here we are 14 years later, and people are talking about another recession. And what we see as we think about this, gas is at an all-time high. You go to grocery stores, and you find things are not on the shelves. You try to buy an appliance or order a car, and they say it's months and months because we don't have all the parts. And so this idea of riding out the recession is some things that we need to look at and talk about. And we're not talking about economics today. We're not talking about money and what the government is doing. Because what we want to talk about is this idea of the recession in our hearts spiritually. There's a lot of people right now who are in a recession spiritually. Things are just not the way they used to be. They feel like they're in a funk. They feel like they're lost. They feel like things are simply not the way it should be. And running through our minds is that hymn, troublesome times are here. 
It makes us want to fasten our seatbelts and hold on because we simply do not know what the future is going to be. Now, a few things before we get to the book of James in just a moment. When we think about this, we sometimes get the idea in our minds that the way life should be is to be like a calm ride on a little boat down some creek or some river. Everything's calm, and every once in a while there's a few rocks, or every once in a while there's a little bit of white water. But by and large, my life should be calm. Well, the reality is, it's not that way. The reality is, there's rocks all the time, there's white water all the time. Once in a while, you get a little bit of calm, but it's always something there. And problems are always looming on the horizon. James chapter 1, now begins verse 2. It says, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Problems have a way of keeping us focused on God. It puts our eyes where they need to be, and that's upon the Lord. We're going to talk about that in a minute with the book of Hebrews. Sometimes misguided expectations convince us that if we were doing what is right, we would have no trouble. And so because there's trouble... Somewhere we took a wrong turn. Somewhere we didn't do something right. But all through the Bible, we find God's righteous people enduring hardships. Those are things that, again, we need to keep before us. We remind ourselves that those who are prepared do well. As the Lord ended the Sermon on the Mount, he did not say, stand and sing. What he told us was a story, a story about two men. And one man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came. Build on your rock won't keep the rains away. He built his house on the rock, and the wind blew. Build on the rock won't keep the wind from blowing. And the floods came. Yes, build on the house will, will not keep the floods away. But his house endured because he had prepared. And what happens to us sometimes is the weariness of troubles leads to a spiritual recession in the heart. And that's where the book of Hebrews comes into us as we think about some of the things that we learn there and we understand. We begin, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 10, where there the Hebrew writer tells us, he says, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which, you, which has a great reward. Thrown away your confidence. That brings worry. That brings doubt. That brings fear. And at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, he says, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. Drifting. Remember in the book of Revelation chapter 2, we read about the church at Ephesus who'd lost their first love. They didn't wake up one Sunday morning and say, guess what, we're not going to church anymore. I don't love Jesus. No, they drifted. Step by step by step, by step. And how did Jesus get so far away from us? They drifted. You ever talk to someone who drifted? 
Things were going well for them financially. Amazon Prime and UPS was coming to the house every day. Man, money was good. Things were going good. They didn't pay attention. And next thing you know, how did we get in this financial mess? You talk to anybody who had a drifting marriage. Oh, we started off like everyone, passionate in love. Things were going strong. But then we just kind of took each other for granted. And we just kind of went through the motions. And now we've been married 10 years, 20 years, and here we are. We're just like roommates. We're not really like the people who love each other. What happened? We drifted. And the same thing happens to us spiritually. Oh, we show up on Sunday. We're supposed to be here on Sunday. We don't want the elders to call us, so we show up on Sunday. But our minds are a million miles away. And Monday through Saturday, we don't think much about Jesus. And what happens is we just drifted away. And so what we're going to look at this morning as we go here into the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk about how they came up with solutions to this, how we overcome these things. But the characteristics, first of all, that God doesn't seem very close anymore. That's exactly where the Ephesians were in the book of Revelation. God didn't seem close to them there. Spiritual intimacy is missing. Songs like, near my God to thee, as the deer pants for the water, oh to be like thee. Those songs don't have much meaning for us because we simply have drifted from God. And core foundational blocks are gone, such as praying endlessly and, and the delight of worship. All those things seem to be missing in our life. And what's happened is the telltale sign of drifting is we lack spiritual passion. Passion to be excited, passion to be involved, passion to do the things. And every worthwhile thing in life has been driven by passion. You think about the athlete who practices over, but he stays and practices on his own over and over and pushes himself. Why? He has a passion. You think about an artist or you think about a writer or a songwriter, how they push themselves to be better and better and better. They have a passion or a drive about those things. We see that in the heart of these early Christians. In Acts chapter 18, as it described Apollos, it says he was fervent in the spirit. That word fervent is where we get the word fever. We think about the passage in Romans 12, verse 11, not lagging behind indulgent, fervent in spirit. We think about James 5, verse 16, the effectual fervent. See these words? A passion here, a desire for Jesus. Titus chapter 2, zealous for good works. Or as Thessalonians says, do not quench the spirit. Drifting. It can happen. And it can happen as it did then, and it can happen to us. So what were the Hebrews told to do? Number one, they were told to pay attention. That's the first thing that helps us from drifting. That's what we usually don't do. We don't pay attention to the person we're married to. We don't pay attention to what we should be after. We don't pay attention, and because of that, we simply drift. Now, if you've got a little toddler, you pay attention because he puts everything in his mouth, and you watch for those things. You've got a new driver in the house. And what you do is you tell them, put your hands at 10 and 12 and don't take them off. Miss Debbie used to have this little squeeze ball. And when she would go out with one of our kids driving, they'd say, why do you always do that, Mom? Just look at the road. Just look at the road. Lord, get me home, you know. But what you tell them is to pay attention. So look at Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. 
For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so we do not drift away. What's the solution from drifting? Is paying attention. Paying attention, noticing the details, sweating the small stuff, as we might say, makes a difference. Now, notice this as we walk through the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, he says, lest there be an unbelieving heart in you. Pay attention is what he's saying there. In chapter 4, verse 11, be diligent, he says, to enter the rest lest you fall away. Chapter 6, let us press on to maturity. Over and over, he's laying down this foundation. You don't want to drift away. You want to go somewhere. you got to pay attention. He would say in chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart. In verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Chapter 12, verse 2, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. All of this illustrates this concept of paying attention. Now, particularly here in chapter 13, notice what he says. He says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this will be unprofitable for you. Pay attention. Phillips, in his translation, says, closest possible attention. So if you went into the eye doctor tomorrow, and you say, you know, I've got something in my eye. Can you take a look at it? And he stands across the room from you and says, I don't see anything. I think you're okay. You find another eye doctor. I want you right in my face. I want you to pay a close attention. I want you to look at these things. James says it this way in James chapter 1 and verse 25. But the one who looks intently, there's paying attention, at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, I've got something I want you to write down. This is not on the screen. I prepared this before we went on our trip, and I saw something. I want you to write this down, because this is important. Write this down in your note card, then I want you to write down in your Bible. It's a phrase, and it's a phrase that says, face the direction you're going. Now, let me tell you the story behind this. I was in one of the airports, and you know how they have those people movers? It's kind of like a flat conveyor belt, and you just kind of stand on the thing. It just kind of moves you along. And, and there's a big sign right up there. And the sign says, face the direction you are going. The reason is if I'm turning around talking to somebody, we're moving this way, I may bump into somebody. Or every once in a while, that little conveyor belt stops, and I'm going to fall down. Face the direction you're going. A lot of people want to go to heaven, but they're looking at the world. They want to go to heaven, but they're looking at people who are going to the world. They want to go to heaven, but they're looking the wrong direction. Face the direction you're going. Now, in your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 once again. Do you remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel got in trouble for praying... Do you remember why, where he was praying? Not only in the window, but he was facing east. East is where Jerusalem was. 
Daniel was facing the direction he wanted to go. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, chapter 12 it says it this way. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And if you turn the page before in Hebrews chapter 11, notice what it says in verse 15, verse 16. And indeed, if they had been thinking about the country from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. They weren't thinking about where they left. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So i got to ask you a question. Are you facing the direction you are going? I want to go to heaven, but I'm looking at all the stuff in the world. Am I facing the direction I'm going? That helped the Hebrews. Secondly, as we think about this, notice how many times the Bible puts up this concept of being alert. Therefore, be on the alert. There again is this idea of paying attention. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. He would say in 1 Peter chapter 5, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. And again in the book of Thessalonians, so then let us not sleep as others sleep, but let us be alert. And in Timothy he says, pay close attention to yourself. Now listen to me, it's not the church's job to get you focused. We can help you, we can teach you, we can influence you, but you must own your faith. And if you drift, you don't know where you're going. You're just going to go where the tide takes you. You're going to go wherever the current is. You're, you're in danger of hitting rocks. You're in danger of being turned over. You have no idea. So this idea of paying close attention is so true to driving. What do you do when you drive? You've got to look in your mirrors. You've got to look around me. You've got to pay attention because I'm driving. What you got to do? You've got to stay in your lane. A lot of new cars have, have all these little buzzers and, get, and gadgets. If you get over the lane, it kind of jiggles your car just a little bit. Stay in your lane. You've got to watch your speed. What's your speed? And you've got to notice your gauges. And you've got to know where you're going. Face the direction you're going. How do you ride out the recession? Number one, you have to pay attention. Pay attention. How much during the week am I feeding my soul? How much during the week am I praying to my God? How much during the week am I doing good deeds as God wants me to? And when I answer those questions then it kind of helps me. Well, you know, I don't get anything out of church. Well, I can kind of understand why. You know, my relationship with God seems to be kind of distant. I can understand why. We need to pay attention. Second thing is we need to return to the things that, you know, work. And, and again, this takes us back to Revelation where we read about, we talked about Ephesus a while ago. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Why? Because they worked. That's why. You need to do those deeds. You don't need something new. You don't need something fangled. You don't need to change the whole thing. Do what worked at first, and that helps you. That's the idea we see here. And this is found throughout the scriptures. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, notice those very first Christians there in verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, 
there were added to that day 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking their bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and all those had all things in common. Do you remember when you were first baptized? Man, you got down here to the church building before the doors were opened. You were so excited. So excited to take the Lord's Supper. If you're a man, so excited to be able to do something publicly. You're so excited. But when you drift, what happens is those things don't mean so much to you. You kind of move away from those things. And so, again, there's this very idea of saturating ourselves with the Word of God, engaging in the things that work, and to return to the things you know that work. This is something true we find in sports. When the team starts falling apart, what does the coach do? He goes back to the fundamentals. Let's, go, let's, let's do these things once again. I love the story of, of the great Green Bay Packer coach, Vince Lombardi. They've gotten beat several games in a row. And he's in a locker room with his guys. He held up a football and says, gentlemen, this is a football. And with that, he began with the basics. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to get back to attending worship services on a regular basis. You need to get back to reading my Bible on a regular basis, talking to God on a regular basis. You might say, well, we hear those things over and over. Why do we have preachers always say those things? Because they work. They work. And that helps us. And that's what we need to do. And then the third thing is you have to take drastic measures. Again, let's go back to Revelation 2, verse 5. And notice what he says there. He says, therefore... Remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else. Or else. Or else I'm coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. As we get ready to start a new school semester, from the little grades all the way up through college, you'll hear this or else. You better study or else. Well, what's, going to ha- what's the or else? You're going to flunk. That's what's going to happen. You start a job. You better show up and do your job or else. Or else what, boss? You're going to get fired. That's what's going to happen. You better take care of yourself financially or else. Or else what? You're going to be owed and have no money. That's what's going to happen. If I don't take care of myself spiritually, the or else means I'm not going to make it. And that's the idea here. And so what we see in this Revelation passage are the three R's, so important. He says to remember, remember, remember where you have fallen. Remember where you started off. Remember how important those things were, he says. And then he says to repent. There's a second R. And then the third R is to simply do the deeds or repeat the deeds that you've done at first. To remember Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Well, what do we remember? She turned around. She wasn't supposed to. And she got the or else, didn't she? Remember. And then to repent. And then to repeat. This is the idea of taking drastic measures. If you were in a car accident and your car was upside down and you were trapped inside, and the fire department, the police department showed up. And there was a fire started. And they couldn't open the doors. What are they going to do? Oh, we, we don't want to put a scratch in this car. You know, we, we don't, are you kidding? They're going to break the windows. They're going to get the jaws of life. They're going to bust open that car to get you out. They'll do drastic measures. 
to save you. How about you? How drastic are you willing to do to save your soul? Kids, we're not going to go to this new Disney movie. Why? Because it's just not good for us. We're not going to watch this show that everybody's talking about on TV. Why? It's just not good for us. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some of these things. We're going to get together some of the families in the church. We're going to do some of these things. Why? We're going to take drastic measures to save our soul. That's what takes place. And then the final thing is simply to stay with it. Stay with it until the very end. In Hebrews chapter 10, once again, the writer says this. He says, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Endurance. It's easy to start a race. I dare say everyone in here could start a marathon. Now, how many of us could finish? Not very many. Some of these young guys back here could finish. I couldn't finish. Easy to start a race. Easy to start the Christian race. Come and get baptized. That's awesome. You're excited. You're ready to go. But what happens the next month, the next year, the next decade? You see, the need for endurance. Timothy said it this way. As Paul talked about his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. The idea of staying with it, the idea of completing it, the idea of doing what God wants us to do. Writing out the recession, that's the idea here. I want to end by reading you a little, a little thing I found the other day. It says, a journey down the cereal aisle of your local grocery store can be quite an adventure. For those of you who shop with your children, this is probably the worst part of the shopping experience, the dreaded cereal aisle. It also presents a, quite a challenge for adults. The good cereals are always listed up real high. The grape nuts, the Special K, the Nutrigrain. But right there at the eye level of a child is all the sugar boxes. Bright colors, careful cartoon characters on there. Things like Fruit Loops and Cocoa Puffs and Count Chocula. And then the choice must be made, sugar or nutrition. What is good for you and what tastes great or what is the best for you. And writer Gordon McDonald says this. He says, my enjoyable breakfast cereal with its sugar has done little to give me endurance and strength for the day. It's offered me only a perception of satisfying breakfast, but the promise is short-lived. Sugar has let me down with a thud. My wife opts for nutrition. I've opted for taste. Taste or nutrition? Happiness or health? Short-term or long-term? That's the choices before us. And the conflict is not limited to, to breakfast cereals. We face the same kind of choices every day, the writer says. Choices of what is good for us and what we feel like doing. Choices of what will help us down the road or what is exciting for the moment. Choices of lasting joy or temporary happiness. Choices of a spiritual diet that really come down to this. We must choose between a lasting relationship with God or temporary relationships that do not matter. Sugar or substance. Short-term or long-term, exhilaration or transformation. We must learn how to be Special K Christians in the Krispy Kreme world. The Krispy Kreme diet always leaves one hungering for more. Satisfaction is missing. It's focused upon the external things, such as the atmosphere of the building, the music, the emotions, the tears, the laughter. And what does it do for us? In the Krispy Kreme diet, the emphasis is upon feelings, not God. The result is just it doesn't last. A person doesn't feel satisfied. The Krispy Kreme believer lacks patience to wait upon the Lord. 
Richard Foster wrote in the Celebration of Discipline, the doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The special K believer knows that through the steady discipline that God requires, a person is changed. Slowly their attitudes are reshaped. The behavior reflects Jesus. Their mind thinks spiritually. They are transformed. They reflect Jesus Christ. Abraham in Genesis 25 verse 8 says, died an old man satisfied with life. And in this world we live in, all kinds of information and opinions and ideas about what to get through this, whether it's financial, whether it's political, or whether it's even spiritual. We need to appreciate what God says. We need to appreciate how important these things are. And so when we think about another Sunday together, it's not just another Sunday together. This is special. This should touch our hearts. The Lord is among us and should make a difference. And when you open your Bible, it's just not another chapter to read and check off my list. I've read another chapter. The God of heaven is speaking to you. And you need to see yourself in those verses. And when you bow your head and pray, you're not just uttering words because I'm getting ready to eat some food. I've got to say a prayer before I eat my food. I'm talking to the God of heaven who's interested in you. Now, the president doesn't know you. The governor doesn't know you. And by and large, they don't even care about you. But God does. And so when we think about recessions and famines and trouble and troublesome times, how important it is to go back to the scriptures and see what God told his people. The Hebrew writers, the Hebrew people have gone through some hardships and they began to drift. But the word back was to get focused. Get back to what you know is right. Get back to doing what you should be doing all along. And that's a message for all of us. As a church, as family, and as individuals. Times come. Times go. I tell somebody today, just, just a moment ago, you know, things are tough. But they've been tough before. There have been Egyptians. There's been Babylonians. There's been Romans. But God has always been there. And so for us, if you're not feeling like you're connecting like you should, let's get you connected. There's multiple means to help you in this congregation. If you're a reader, we've got things for you to read. If you like to listen, we've got things for you to listen to. If you want some Bible studies, we've got folks here who will give you a Bible study. But there's no reason for a person to just start drifting away. Because once you start drifting away from God, your marriage is going to drift. Your attitude's drifting your morals are going to drift. And what you're going to find yourself doing is doing things today I would have never done five years ago. Five years ago, I would have never said those words. Five years ago, I would have never thought about doing that. Five years ago, no. But what's happened is I have drifted. And so this lesson helps us. Helps us realize it's not the world. It's not the economy. It's not the politics. It's I have taken my eyes off Jesus. Keep looking at the direction you're going. Now, if we can help you, we want to do that. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?